In a journey around the counties, you start at the centre. Well, the edge of the centre. Ear V, West Meath, part of the old kingdom of Meath. Some people in this county like to slyly call their larger neighbour East Meath. It's all about perspective. On Conde Cuan to some, but West Meath isn't always quiet. That is it. It's all over at the inaugural Compton Cup has been won by the men from the Lake County. West Meath are the winners. Four between them and the Sport and music, Talchin Cup and Flakiol bring noise and celebration. But away from all that is the quiet heart of the place, and you measure the county out from there. From the perspective of the hill of Ushnach, where people have gathered for thousands of years, where royal inaugurations took place and the country's political destiny was reimagined, it feels like sacred ground. I mean, this is supposed to be the centre of Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, you know, uh, the old people regarded the cat stone, or the stone of the divisions, or all in the mirror Nosquelga, as the centre stone of Ireland. It, it was the place where the four ancient provinces met. And indeed, history tells us it's where the fifth province was created by Tuol Chokmar uh, in and around 80 AD. He took a bit off Connacht and a bit off Munster and a bit off Ulster and a bit off Leinster and he created the fifth province of Mead. Cúiga essentially means a province in Ireland but of course when you translate it it kind of means one-fifth. One-fifth, yes. You know, and some people would say Mead was the Cúiga but of course it would go on to be made into two counties then in the 16th century. Mead and West Mead. You know, West Mead... Some could say that we were kind of left behind. Others of us would feel that we have a lot of these hidden gems. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're beginning a long journey around Ireland. 100 years after independence to get a measure, to get many measures of the 32 counties. As a writer, I'm fascinated by place and by people who shape their lives within these lines and boundaries we call our home, our communities, our counties. My understanding of Westmeath is that we were all part of Meath, but that the Westmeath part, they were a bit wild and they cut us off. <laughs> we're just that bit crazier which is what I like. In this new series, I'm keen to get a fresh understanding of each county through its people, their places and stories, as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. If we go straight out to the brow of this hill, and then we'll have... There's a kind of a hollow called Loch Nafulla, mm. and it's an obvious feature. It might give us something to talk about. Mm. Something violent happened here, from the name the Hollow of the Blood, Loch Nafulla. Uh, we don't know exactly that there was uh, priests were hung here. That's uh, the tradition that was recorded in the 1930s. Something gruesome must have happened here. On a warm summer's evening in a field called Loch Nafulla in Ballymore, proud locals are opening maps out on the grass. They're guided by the University of Limerick's Angus of Finnegan, and they're one of the many community groups around Ireland who are gathering the names and stories associated with the fields in their areas. Names that reveal a wealth of precious information and insight. Unfolding a map on a field, what could be more appropriate? These uh, are all the fields, isn't that beautiful? Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? So... Loads of the fields are numbered, so I presume the number then corresponds with the name. Yeah, that's yes. the Isn't format that the, the field name project takes. Is this where we're standing here? Yes, yeah. where we're standing. Yeah. So yeah. that's looking for the there. Yeah, that's it. That's, yeah. so that's, yeah. Yeah, the, that's the water behind us. That's it. Yeah. And this would have been the main house here. Even over in Milltown now, there's the rich history of milling 
and the field names um, will reflect that. Like a few here, like you've the bleachard, a place where you bleached linen. Then you had the baiting again for processing flax, and you had the flax hole, and there was so much associated with that over there. We have a whole special vocabulary for natural features. So we have crickeens and crookons, so we have cordocks and mollocks and monines. We have in this area shra, you know, an area where you have sedgy grass, cushlons, mochines, clunocks, which would be pasture grazing land, lochons, and around here in this area, luhon is how they pronounce that for a little lake. I mean, were you surprised at the richness of what was there? I suppose for me personally, the story about the Killeen was just astounding. We thought it had something to do with a little wood, but actually, thanks to Angus's intercession, a Killeen was a graveyard, a very sad spot. And then the local farmers were able to tell us about a walkway they, that, that they knew to be called the Dead Walk, which led directly to this little spot. The local people, you'll call to them with a map and they'll say, well, oh, I can't remember that now, and, and you leave the map with them. Come back two or three weeks later and you have a full page of names. And they've got more enjoyment and satisfaction from remembering all those names and remembering where they came from or their parents maybe christened them or whatever, you know. Well, that's what happens in a lot of cases, yeah. you see. Yeah. The names are lost, like, you know, and that's why it's important to record. And that's I why think, I mean. think it's so amazing that we have Irish names, even though there aren't that many of them, because it's a very unusual circumstance, really, that a name could survive for five or six generations and you'd be going back that many generations before Irish was spoken because usually after two or three generations people will rename fields as you have new people coming in to, to own land or to own farms so it's a normal process that you get new names coming on all the time If a, papa, if a family happens to be in an area from when, from the time that Irish was spoken and just happened to and handed down from one generation to the next they held out of their Irish names but the people that come in new people come in and they don't know anything about the old names. That's what happens. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. That's why some people have the Irish name still. Because the family were there probably going back to the time when Irish was spoken. It's rare for fields to survive for a long time and that's why it's important to write them down now, what we know now. It's really about uh, giving these names a new lease of life. Ballymore disappeared off Google Maps completely. <laughs> So we made a bit of an issue on it. It has come back, it comes and goes, so we're not too sure what's happening. And there are a lot of names. There's one very close to the village now called Middleton. It doesn't exist in anywhere in place names, county names, anywhere. There are a number of those on the Google Maps that just suddenly dropped in. And it's a terrible thing, really, because we have all these names. And then Google is probably the number one way in which people would encounter place names now. To have the wrong ones there is, is really terrible. And there doesn't seem to be any great way to remedy it. No, so that's no. another reason why we do our project to actually put on record and make available what is there. came to Lilliput here on Loch Ennell in search of a little bit of quiet contemplation of Jonathan Swift's association with the place. And I find lots of little people. Lilliput House, built in the 18th century, is now part of a children's adventure centre. So the place is teeming with children and the beat of music. And, well, it's rather lovely. Children enjoying themselves in the summer, and why shouldn't they? You can imagine a calm day like today. Jonathan Swift visiting friends in Westmeath, out in a boat in Loch Ennell here, and looking back at this shore, at Noor as it was then, the townland of Noor, seeing people on the shore and realising that from the perspective from the boat in the middle of the lake, they looked tiny, they looked diminutive. And it's said that from there he got his idea for the Lilliputians and Gulliver's Travels. But I love that idea that Lilliput here, as it came to be known, connects into that vast world, the world of, of Swift's imagination and everything that, that he brought to us. 
Hey, my name is Leonardo Sablinskis. I come from Latvia, I'm from, from Jurmola. It's like beside the capital city of Riga. I'm living here already 22 years. Someone, someone told me like it's more than 20 meters of deep in this lake. But I know some people can swim in the ocean or in the sea, but I feel that's too cold for me. But when I come here, you know, like when the weather is good, I can swim very well, like, like in my country, you know, same. We just enjoy it, you know, we just come with the tent, we make some barbecue, we cook some food, you know, we just walking, we're swimming, you know, it's very good. Uh, when the weather is good, it's like fantastic is here, you know, like, because like, I like the fishing as well, you know, I, I can read the boat here with the engine, you know, go for a fishing for a couple of, you know, for a couple of hours. That's good. I did yesterday uh, fishing. I got some, a uh, few, few perch and uh, maybe six spikes. I know it's just for fun and all is good. I make a picture of them and throw it back. My name is Nicole Flattery. I'm the author of Show Them a Good Time. Here is a piece I wrote about growing up in Westmead. I think people consider Westmead a nowhere place. They might have a vague memory of passing through a series of villages, a strip of shops, a chipper, an anonymous stretch of road. I spend a lot of my time trying to remember these villages. In my fiction, I pursue them. If these places aren't named in my work, they are traced over, taken from my childhood memories and transformed. I'm not sure exactly what I hope to find. I've lived a large part of my life in Westmeath, first in Kinnegad, then in Mullingar. Not an enormous leap, but a transition from what I knew. Kinnegad is the punchline of a rhyme. Nace is an awful place, Kilcock is twice as bad, but of all the places I've ever been, good luck to Kinnegad. When I heard this as a child, I was confused. I was probably not quite old enough to be insulted. What was so bad about where I lived? There were dozens of fields where I spent all my days, where my sister and I climbed trees, played games of make-believe. Then there was the turf bog where we got so dirty that our clothes were put in the washing machine two, three times. Everything was probably dangerous, unsafe, certainly by modern standards, and that was part of the fun. There was so much space, acres and acres of green, which in our minds belongs solely to us. It's hard for me, even now, not to be sentimental about it, because in Kinnegad there was the time and scope that belongs to childhood. Long stretches of nothing, made real only by your imagination. But then the first lockdown of 2020 came, and I was back in my parents' house. 30 years of age with nothing but time and space. I settled into a kind of enforced laziness. Naps, films, books. When we got a bit more freedom and the sun was surprisingly shining, my mother suggested we go out to the lake. Despite Lakul being only a short drive from our house, we'd never swam in it. Now we were eager, eager for something to break up the day, eager for our lives to be altered in some small way. The cold was a shock and then reassuring. The outside world, in many ways, was still the same as I'd left it as a child. We left feeling expansive. We were novices on our first trip, but we returned armoured, wearing gloves, swimming shoes, long sleeve swimsuits. As we moved into 2021, my mother swam every day she could, surrounded by people who'd made identical commitments. All over Ireland, people were making the same discovery. The places they grew up weren't places they knew at all. Whenever I returned home, my friends and I met at Lockool, changed into our swimsuits and jumped in, going backwards into childhood in order to be able to go forwards again. <laughs> You're listening to The County Measure with Vincent Woods. I'm in County Westmeath. At his estate near Castle Pollard, Thomas Packenham explains why he changed the name of his castle, Packenham Hall, to the old name of Tully Nally, 
reflecting the landscape, especially the lakes near to his home. Actually, I thought Pakenham Hall was an incongruous name. First of all, I didn't really want to share my name with a, a house, and I liked the original Hill of the Swan, Tallinnale, with all the links and associations with the children of Lear. Tallinnale is near Loch Daravara, mythical lake of the children of Lear. It's home to the Pakenham family since the 1600s. Thomas Pakenham is a spry man in his late 80s. He's a historian and a tree expert, and on a short visit to his home, I walked through the arboretum to a small wooden hut away from the public gaze. This is the so-called common walnut, which actually comes from China, and it has the most romantic uh, history that is possible. All the walnuts in Europe were actually brought in prehistoric times along the Silk Road from China. Anyway, I got mine not from China or the Gobi Desert, but from the Tesco shelf, the supermarket shelf. And you can plant them instead of eating them. So you planted a walnut from Tesco? I planted a walnut from Tesco. And up comes the tree. Wonderful. And and look what a lovely, healthy tree it is. Oh, yeah. Great. And you you can smell very strong, oily Mm. fragrance from the leaves. Anyway, let's go and look at the hut. Um, We'll go left here. The curved sides of the steps leading up to the hut are made of yew. And the furniture, which I think is rather special, had all come from a tree, an oak tree that fell down. So it all derived from local sources. Wonderful. And I think it's a rather wonderful design. It is a lovely design. It's, it's very inviting and Buddha looks very happy there. And I think he's a very happy man. Occasionally he gets a donation, which he goes into his lap. <laughs> and somebody comes here and puts a few sense, I suppose. And then somebody else comes and takes them away again. <laughs> are we going up? Right we are. In a way, Thomas, apart from renaming the place or restoring the name, indeed, you also opted not to be a lord. Yes, again, it would be... I'd made my home in Ireland and to be Lord Silchester, which is a, a courtesy title which I would have had uh, if I'd wanted it when my father became Lord Longford in turn. And Silchester is a Roman ruin. I had an extraordinary uh, journey uh, in the snow with Penelope Betchman, the wife of John Betchman, the poet, which she was shouting above the roaring of the snow. She don't you want to be a Roman ruin? And I was, no, I don't. I didn't want to be a Roman ruin. She took me to Silchester to see it, and I refused to adopt it as my name. And then, of course, having not been Lord Silchester, it was easy enough not to be Lord Longford. How would you like to see Tullinally develop? We have about uh, 300 acres of trees, partly ornamental and partly commercial and quite a sizable dairy farm, 600 dairy cows in milk. So it's, that is a business. I think it would have to jog along much as it does now. It would be a, a family trust. Cousins and uh, daughter and things would be trustees. It might all end in disaster. I don't know. Is that too strong? No, it's lovely. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Daphne. That's great. Help yourself there. Yeah. Do you do? Daphne Griffith spent her childhood in Gaybrook Domain near Mullingar. Generations of her family were in service there. Daphne and her sister Daisy shared their memories of growing up in the big house, where life for the serving class was a mix of prestige and precarity. The wheels were coming off the wagon on those old places anyway at that stage. I remember that there was a big auction there and people were saying that the the house was in bad repair and it wasn't safe to be going upstairs in the upper rooms. The Land Commission levelled it. It was a shame, really, because there isn't a sign that it was there now. Gabriel was an idyllic place to grow up as children. You know, there used to be swans on the canal and that kind of thing. In the autumn time, there'd be mushrooms and we used to go out. We'd get what we called a thronging, a bit of grass, and we'd thread the mushrooms onto it, you know, and we'd bring them home. 
and my mother was a great baker. We always had fresh brown bread, and she'd stew the mushrooms. There'd be so many of us. She she never fried them. She used to stew them in milk, and we'd all get a bowl of mushrooms and sauce. My mother was uh, old Mrs Smith's lady's maid when the IRA were burning the big houses. They were always worried. And there was one night when a knock came to the front door and the butler, before he answered the knock, he went around the house and he got everybody up. My mother had to get Mrs Smith up and dressed and gather up her whatever little valuables she thought she could take. Uh, But anyway, it turned out that the person at the door was one of the rare people who had a car at the time and he had run out of petrol. And he figured that there would be petrol at that house because they also had a car. So that's all it turned out to be. So it was a false alarm. It was a false alarm, yeah. But they did live in fear of it happening all the time, you know, because it was happening to several of the the houses round about, you know. I mean, would there there have been many of the houses in the county? Would there have been many of the houses around burned at that time? Tuberdaly up near Road was definitely one of them. And there was one called Galston. Tour House was burnt uh, as well. That's Terrace Pass. Yeah, outside yeah. Terrace Pass. Yeah. And you'd wonder why a house then like Gaybrook was left, why it wasn't burnt. I don't, I don't understand why it was, excepting that there was probably a good relationship between the Smiths and their employees. Almost everybody in the area had somebody working there. So I suppose it wasn't in their interest to have the place destroyed you know and when when your father and mother talked about the place later after you know moved did they talk about it with with affection well my mother would have had a, a a great affinity with it because she grew up in the house we grew up in her father who's an englishman came to gaybrook he was a coachman and he were he worked with the horses as well of course and when he died my father got his job as the groom. So there were two generations. When we left Gaybrook, my mother was very, very sad because it was her family home, you know. But uh, at the same time, the insecurity of living in a house that was belonged to somebody else was ever-present. The wages were probably very poor as well, you know. You're glad to have the memories you oh, have. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a brilliant place to, to grow up. I have no unhappy memories of it, except the the men in the yard came in every morning into our house for tea at 11 o'clock. And, uh, of course, we would be there and we heard all the the bits of stories that would have been told, you know, mainly about how rapidly it was declining at that stage. They're, they're the bits that we would have heard. And we would feel that sometimes, that they did feel insecure. So it was, for us as well, when we left and had a house of our own, it was certainly a sense of of relief that we weren't living under somebody else's roof. I'm 10 years old and we're in West Meath. Hi, I'm Shiko and I'm 12 years old and we're in County West Meath in Athlone. There is a castle in Athlone, it's called the Athlone Castle and you get to go there and then there's a park, Kusin, where there's little ducks and everything, you get to feel the ducks. And then I heard they're making a new bridge over um, the Shannon so we can go like walk or ride your bicycle over there so that's also really nice there. Chico and Buru are also sisters, and while their memories don't stretch as far back as Daphne and Daisy's, they like to remember Kenya, where their grandparents live and where they learned a little Swahili. Do I say them now? Okay, so Jambo is hello, and then Habari Gani is how are you, and then Pako is cat, and then Moa is dog, and then Pole is sorry. Do you like... 
going to Kenya? Do you like going to visit your grandparents? I mean, do, does that feel like another home for you? Yes, it does actually, because it's like how to explain. It is very warm to us. We there's a little farm beside our house, so we get to like sli- um, stay with the animals and we help with our grandparents with cleaning and everything. So it's pretty nice. They even say Kenya is really cold sometimes, even though it's burning hot. So imagine them coming to Ireland. That would be so funny. <laughs> They're so hardworking, so hardworking. I think they. Um, my mom got it from them. My mom's very hardworking. But, um, yeah, my grandparents. What else? They're very cute. <laughs> They're very cute. Yeah. Um, Do you play sport? Oh, I play Gaelic, yes. I play Gaelic. It's a really fun sport, actually. I also played Gaelic, and I would suggest it. Like, when I first joined, I didn't know anything or how to play. Yeah, actually, fun fact, she was actually going to join gymnastics, but my mom actually asked her if she, like, wants to try it out. So she tried it out, and she ended up liking it. So she just went away with gymnastics and came to Gaelic instead. I'm the captain of my team, so, yeah, I'm always in midfielder, which is a very important, like, position in Gaelic. It's a very, very important. Oh, she has a photo. So this was us after winning a match. This was a few days ago. We were winning against um, St. Michael's. Um, the score was 17 to 8. So we won against them and it was really fun. So that's us. So that's Coco over here. <laughs> I like being a halfback because I like to like run up the field more because like, it makes me get the ball more because if I'm a fullback, I mostly like defend the goal. Yeah, I can explain it more. So basically a halfback is like, let's say someone's about to score a goal. She's the one who has to like defend and try to like save them from scoring a goal and she has to try kick it closer to the other side where we can kick. And then my job is to try score goals and try to like, you know, do that. Or I could just kick it to the other people who are, have a better position to score goals. Are you a good scorer? Yeah, I, I, I'm actually pretty good at scoring, but yeah, it's good. Because I think I'm doing pretty good right now, so hopefully I can like be famous for that one day. You're listening to The County Measure. Coming up, a musical bridge, the wonders of four, and two lions in moat. A friend of mine remembered driving into New York for the first time with Bruce Springsteen blasting on the car stereo while I'm driving into Mullingar and for the first time crossing the Joe Dolan Bridge, the longest bridge in Ireland. He had one of the great voices, no doubt about it. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods, and this week we're in County Westmeath at the start of a journey to shape a radio atlas of Ireland. What's the measure of the county? What are the insights from history, literature, and the names of place? Irish from Alangar is Unwill and Ciar, and it translates as the left-handed mill and relates to a miracle where a mill wheel turned left-hand-wise at the same time as it was going the other way, grinding corn for the king. We're the only town in Ireland, as far as I know, named after a miracle. Ruth Illingworth is a local historian in Mullingar. I've written a book called uh, The Little Book of Westmeath, which was published uh, about five years ago now by the History Press. And I think I said in the introduction to that that Westmeath was kind of a sort of quiet county that was overlooked by perhaps slightly more assertive neighbours like Meath. But it is the heart of Ireland. I mean, the Hill of Ushnock is the spiritual centre, the sacred centre of Ireland for centuries, millennia. Uh, The Ordnance Survey of Ireland have recently determined that the actual geographical centre of the country is in Westmeath, in the village of Castletown Gagan. And another place in Westmeath, I think, is deemed to be the place in the country furthest from the sea. Uh, one feels it's, it's often slightly overlooked, you know, at the at the centre of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or uh, am I imagining that that the county is 
somewhat bypassed or overlooked too? I think so, yes. Uh, uh, you know, there are counties where people have a very strong sense of who they are, you know, Cork people, Galway, Dublin. Westmead perhaps not so much, but we're in the Greville Arms Hotel, which is particularly famous because of its links with James Joyce. Uh, remind us of that. He was here because his father, John Joyce, was hired by Westmead County Council to sort out the electoral lists. Um, there had been local government elections in 1899 and apparently quite a few dead people voted and not many living people voted. So he was brought down to kind of sort things out. He and young James, who was only 18 at the time, they would have worked in the courthouse in the town, uh, a town strongly political, where the, the fallout from the Parnell split was still very much alive. And we're here on the eve of Bloomsday uh, 2022 on what is actually the birthday of Millie Bloom, the bold bad girl from Mullingar. And this hotel was visited by James Joyce in 1900 and 1901 when he was in Mullingar. And he never forgot the hotel or the town because uh, the Greville Arms appears in two of his novels, Stephen Hero and Ulysses. And it's mentioned by Millie Bloom in Ulysses because she's uh, in the birthday letter she writes to uh, her parents, thanking them for her birthday present. She mentioned that she's going to a concert in the Gravel Arms. So we've come out of the Gravel Arms Hotel and we're standing outside a building in which we believe Joyce actually lived during one of his visits to Mullingar with his father in 1900-1901. It's now Fagan's Toy Shop Office Supplies, but at the beginning of the 20th century it was Phil Shaw's Photographers. And, of course, in Ulysses, Millie Bloom is working in a shop. Her employer is Mr Coughlin, a name that Joyce probably picked up from a family of that name in the town. And a plaque put on the wall here by the owner uh, of, the, of this shop, Patsy Fagan, a few years ago commemorates the Joyce in connection and I'll just read the plaque here picture of James Joyce quote from Ulysses getting on swimming in the photo business this building is the workplace where Millie Bloom trained to be a photographer in James Joyce's Ulysses Dearest Papley, thanks ever so much for the lovely birthday present. I got Mummy's lovely box of creams and I'm writing. They are lovely. I'm getting on swimming in the photo business now. Mr Cochrane took one of me and Mrs Will send when developed. We did great biz yesterday. Fair day and all the beef to the heels we're in. We're going to Loch Ool on Monday with a few friends to make a scrap picnic. Give my love to Mummy and to yourself a big kiss and thanks. I hear them at the piano downstairs. There's to be a concert in the Greville Arms on Saturday. Your fond daughter, Millie. P.S. Excuse bad writing, I'm in a hurry. Bye-bye. When the main road wasn't around, motor was the main artery going from Galway to Dublin. For me to get to school... It would take me five minutes walk, you know, and it could be half an hour in a car because you'd be in traffic going very slowly. And that's because there was no motorway. The motorway west has changed towns in Westmeath, bypassing places like Moat, where we meet two young friends and bandmates, Adrian Rabbit and Adam Cunningham, in their local theatre. They don't feel bypassed. I remember I'd hear, I'd hear stories of people who'd come in and, like, even before you met Moat from the Athlone side, they'd be like, all right, lads, what do you want for Supermax? All right, yeah, bag of chips, burger, whatever. And by the time they got to the middle of Moat, the lad would be waiting for them at the lights with the food in his hands, being like, let's go. Because it's crazy. Once you hit those lights, it was like greyhounds out of a track. You were gone the other side like it never happened. So Moat was a crazy place to grow up in terms of traffic. Your touch It's like I'm on a different plane it plays over and over again. 
uh, we were actually childhood best friends. And we were always in bands, but not in the same band. We wrote a few songs. And we came up with everything we did from westerns to pop to rap to anything country. It was mad. <laughs> but eventually we kind of refined it, our sound there in... 2019. 2019. Um, where we became First Day Lions. Oh my God, you take my heart for a road trip. Drive stick and you know how much I love it. reason for the name is because it's based off the saying I'd rather live one day a lion than a thousand days a lamb and we felt that that kind of reverberated with who we were both musically and personality wise because we want to try and make the best of every opportunity that comes our way so your touch is like static electricity because the more it happens the more shocked that I be your we're here in the, in the Tourard Theatre in Moat. It was, was this significant at all along the way? I mean, have you played here? It definitely was. Um, 2019, when we released our album Time, uh, we had a gig here to a sellout crowd. When we were younger as well, we, we would always nearly, I suppose, have it on the, the wish list to be able to perform in Tourard, you know, as teenagers mm. um, becoming musicians. That would be like, yeah, do you know what? A gig in there would be cool because yeah. we, we've came to see plays here before and really impressed with how the theatre looks and how you can host a show, you know? It's intimate as well because the setting in the theatre, as you can see, it's a flat stage on the ground floor and then the tiered seating kind of goes back. So you don't have to play loud. Mm. So it was really intimate. You know, you'd look out and you'd see your family, your neighbours, your friends, people you've never seen before. And even the smell in this room just brings back such nostalgia and magic from the days, you know, being behind the curtain, nervous about how the night's going, you know. But it was always such a wonderful night. And it was the community that really kind of made it such a magical night. And is, is, there a, is there a lively, young community here in Moat now? Westmeath, I don't know if it's in the water, man, but we all seem to be drinking from the same well. I mean, when you're looking at the, even the likes of Mullingar, you know, Niall Horan, one of the biggest musical exports in the country, you have the Blizzards, you have the Academic, you have Flynn, who's opening for Lewis Capaldi in Malta, Joe Dolan. If I may, actually, I'll tell you something about talent. Adrian here comes from two families of massive musical mm. talent from around the Midlands between Clara and Tang or Ballyman. But yeah, my dad's family is rabbits from uh, Horseleap Clara. They all played music. My granddad played music uh, on that side of the family. And then on my mam's side, she is half a Sheeran. She would be first cousins with the Sheeran family country band. And no matter where I go in the world or what I'll be doing, I'll always pick up the guitar and keep playing. There's definitely such a support for music in particular, and it could be anything. It could be cultist, it could be rock. Uh, it's a big country music scene as well, Westmeath. Uh, so we love an old dance, and we love the nightlife around here. So it definitely bleeds into like our school and how our parents kind of rear us around here, for sure. Oh my God, you take my heart for a road trip. Good morning out there to Lucy Mullery and Charlie Mullery out there as well. This is Marie Ruddy with this week's Community Diary on Athlone Community Radio 88.1. Growing up as a child in the 50s, I remember we had an old radio at home. There were names of radio stations all over Europe that had transmitters that we could receive from. And one of those names was Athlone. There was another place called Riga. And there was another place called Hilverson. And these names were magical, you know, and Athlone was up there with the best of them. So, you know, it must have been a very important place. Margaret Franklin appears on Athlone Calling, a radio documentary made for Athlone Community Radio. The name Athlone, found on old radio dials next to Paris, Berlin, Belgrade, brought the young Irish state and the Westmeath town into the heart of Europe. The radio transmitter station at Moy Drum was part of de Valera's vision for the young Irish state. 
lighting us into Europe and the future. Дякуємо Патрику за його поміщ нам, за його підтримку Україні, за підтримку українських дітей. Recently, Europe has come to Athlone in ways we couldn't have imagined. Дякуємо за те, що він дуже допомагає нам. І зараз ми And radio transmissions from the town offer a new band of connection to displaced people. We are so proud of the radio history that is like embedded in Athlone and in Athlonian. I think the whole Ireland has this great attitude towards the radio. They love to listen to the radio. Irena Svetkovic is the producer of Athlone Calling and for the past three years she's been station manager at Athlone Community Radio. I was 28 when I moved to Ireland and I had two small kids at the time. It was a year after Serbia was bombed by NATO and the situation was kind of pretty much bad for someone who is starting the family. I was working as a documentary maker for years and uh, last three years I'm here as a manager. Irina, tell me a little bit about, about your work in training people here in Athlone Community Radio. Our ethos is based on actually volunteers and the voices from community. We don't believe in that kind of, oh, famous DJ and famous voice. No, we believe everyone has something to say. You were recording today, we have this lovely, talented Ukrainian girls who actually come to this country and were in hotel and maybe not too much to do. We train them maybe twice. And you could see today that they're doing their program on their own. They're running a show. Is that part of Refugee Week as well? Yeah, actually I have a poster for that. Philomena Murphy, tell me a little bit about your work here at Athlone Community Radio. Um, Well, I'm the Assistant Broadcast Programme Coordinator, so I help out with programming. Um, This morning I was sitting in with the Ukrainian girls, making sure the technical stuff went okay. So you would see it, I think, as uh, as a service that really serves the community. We are a community service. The radio side of things is kind of only 5% of what we do. One of the differences between community radio and commercial radio is that with commercial radio you can't just... You know, anybody off the street isn't just going to walk in and get airtime. Whereas with community radio, that is very possible. We're really accessible. Ми продовжуємо нашу зустріч з Патріком Сент Меріс Карате School. And uh, Patrick, somewhat, somewhat to question: How long does it take to learn karate? Your whole life. Whole <laughs> life. <laughs> My name is uh, Katerina Kalisnichenka. Uh, I'm from Ukraine, from uh, Donetsk. It's uh, east part of uh, Ukraine. I have never been on the radio station and uh, I have never made some uh, differences on the radio. Really, it's very, very new for me. For us, it's very important that uh, we can talk on Ukrainian language. It's a real show and uh, it's uh, amazing for us. knew how to choose the good land driving towards four uh, site of a very famous Benedictine monastery uh, from the 7th century at one point I think supposed to be about 200 monks from Normandy and 3,000 students in four which was known as uh, Balianalaur or Balialaur the town of books very beautiful Darren Hurl is my name and uh, I suppose since Covid happened how much has changed this village like it's brought three coffee shops to the place and it's brought busloads of people and it's made a real tourist spot and it's done a fabulous job to the village you know and brought money to it and Northwest Mead is really flying at the moment. Driving in the lush green landscape it's hard to imagine thousands of people working and studying here. The monastery known as Four Abbey is famously built on a bog and this fact is one of the seven wonders of Four which some local people can recite with ease. 
my name is Isha. I'm in the Seven Wonders bar here in Four. And the Seven Wonders are the water that won't boil, the tree that won't burn, the mill without a stream, the water running uphill, stone over the doorway in the old church, the anchorite stone, and the monastery built in a bog. And up on the hill is the hermit's cell, and I have the key of the hermit's cell if people want to visit it here. The key is here. The little church known as the Anchorite Cell Chapel was home to hermits until the 17th century. The last hermit was a man called Patrick Begley, who died in his cell in 1616. Like the others, he removed himself from the living world. Come into this lovely vaulted stone church, probably 17th century, but then your eye is drawn up to what looks like an older opening on the first floor, a window, uh, beautifully carved. You can almost imagine a face peering out of that darkness down at monks, priests at mass. So we're walking perfectly north along this path and we're looking right up into the north of the country. Uh, and you can see the hill centred right in front of us. Uh, and that's Schlieve Russian on the, the borders of Fermanagh and Cavan. Schlieve Bawn from Roscommon there over to the left. Over to your right here you have Schlieve Nakaliak. We really have a magnificent view already and you know we still have a bit to go to get to the top. It's very beautiful. Look at the sky today, it's amazing. Before we leave Westmead, guide Justin Moffat walks me to the summit of Ushnock, site of so much history and centre of the country. We can measure a great deal from here. For Justin, this is home. Just because, yeah, you're, you're, you're local and uh, you, you've here for a good while but before that you had another career uh, you managed the uh, Westmead band the Blizzards that's right I had a, a, five or six years uh, with the Blizzards at the beginning of their career they're still still going strong but uh, this is where I ended up afterwards uh, this is where the bit of the bit of R&R took place afterwards you know you'll see now in a moment where the Bialtina fire is lit every year uh, and we had a magnificent Bialtana here uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, and we had a couple of thousand people from all over Ireland and beyond. We had a procession to the top of the hill, the costumes and theatrics uh, and I guess it all leads towards uh, sunset in the evening and you can see the mound here where the fire sits on top uh, and as the fellow says when the sun starts going down Things get very exciting here on Galtina. Justin, this is the famous stone. Yeah, this is all in the mirror, the stone of the divisions. We're told that it's the resting place of the goddess Era um, when the two Hadidanan were banished to the other world. So the stone itself nowadays is called the cat stone. People thought it looked a little bit like a crouching cat. In old Irish, it's all Namirin, the stone of the divisions. So the stone that divided the old four provinces of Ireland. It's, it's about three times the height to me, and I'm about six foot. <laughs> it's massive. There's a magnificent photograph of De Valera standing here in, in one, of the, one of his great rallies. And a couple of thousand people gathered behind the stone here listening to this talk. It's very interesting to think of, of that political impulse taking Ushnik as a 
a symbolic point for independence, for freedom. There's a big legal field to the old assemblies here as well. Um, so we hear about various laws being called out here uh, in and around the time of Christ. The kings and queens would be here. So everybody was here together. Uh, and problems that needed to be trashed out could be trashed out here. So we're told that this was always a Druid's hill, long before it was a king's hill. And of course the Druids were the great Brehan judges themselves. They were well able to sort out things that couldn't be sorted out elsewhere. The big problems were maybe brought here and adjudicated on uh, at Bialtana. Uh, and as the fellow says, we need to get this problem sorted before we light the fire tonight. For, for us, I guess, in Westmead, it's all about centrality. And here we are at the Catstone talking about centrality. Uh, but we feel, I guess, uh, many of us in Westmead, we feel we're, we're in the middle of the country. You know, Westmead has some real magnificent sites and places, and people really are, are only starting to explore them. Everybody's chasing their own little hidden gem, and Westmead is full of hidden gems. No doubt there's a quiet dazzle about Westmead, the serenity of old land and settlement. There are places here to make you pause in wonder. From Ushnuk we look out and seawards to Sligo and the north-west coast. That's next week's County Measure. The County Measure with Vincent Woods is part of our Decade of Centenary celebrations here on RTE Radio 1. The programme was produced by Regan Hutchins. For any suggestions for you, the series on your county, you can email county at rte.ie.